I demoed a song. I, uh, I got asked to contribute a song to a compilation uh, f- that February Records is putting out in Boston. And they did an, did an interview with me about Young Southpaw and all my musical stuff earlier this year. And they were like, oh, we're going to put out a compilation with the, uh, with the magazine. Do you want to contribute something? And I hadn't done music in a long time. And I finished the song and I had my friend Dan mix it because I was just like, I didn't have a lot of time, so I was just like, Will you, I'll pay you if you mix it for me. He's like, yeah, and it was, it was easy, and he sent it back to me, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't made music in a while. I love this song. It's like some of my best lyrics. And then I drove to New York yesterday, and I listened to a whole bunch of other musical ideas I had, and I was like, I had so many songs. I really want to do something with all these. Like, like, you know, I had demo ideas and verses and choruses and, like, put them together, and I found this really sweet song that I wrote uh, in 2016, and I got, you know, I listened to it at like one in the morning last night. I got up today and I like, I made a demo of it. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I had to go out and buy a new mic stand because the mic stand I had was too light and it was like falling over. And I had to like Jerry rig it against a couch and like sit like really uncomfortably, like holding my guitar in an awkward manner. I was just like, I can just spend 40 bucks and like be comfortable and make music, you know, from now on by buying a mic stand. So I went out and bought a new mic stand and uh, yeah. Yeah, equipment's important, man. It's you got to be comfortable. Yeah. Where are you from, dude? I'm from Stratford, Connecticut. No, where are you from? From 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 originally. St- I was born in Milford. Really? Yeah. And then moved to Stratford when I was w- where do you two. get the southern? You, I heard like a little bit of a southern draw. I almost heard there's Southpaw. A tw- there's come a twang out. to it, it. It's so weird. Like that's, I almost heard Southpaw come out when you were just talking about this thing right here. That's where it comes from. And like friends of mine have pointed this out my entire life that for reasons I can't explain. My voice will just sometimes lapse into a southern drawl on certain words. And I, have, I have no idea why. And then when I was living in the South, I started emphasizing that. When and that's living how in the South. Young Southpaw came about. Just like, you know, going into that voice consciously more and just riding it out. And like, but I, I have no idea why. You're like, right? So, when so I was just talking, it came out. So, like, did, so did you move to the South? Oh, we're not even into it yet, but we're, we're going we're to get it started soon. But yeah, so I'm just, let me get some background right now. So you moved to the South. Was that a thing with your family when you were young? Was that to, to pursue an artistic I moved to the endeavor? South last year. It's <laughs> the first time I was ever really there. <laughs> <laughs> and you came back quick. Yeah. yeah. Where in the South? Nashville. And yeah. It was, oh, yeah. We talked. Yeah, you said you lived yeah. in Nashville. Dude, I was living in LA I before that. that. I love that fucking city. I love Nashville, man. Where in LA were you living? Uh, Atwater Village, so next I, to Glendale. I lived uh, like Hollywood Boulevard and Wilcox. I love Hollywood. Yeah, nice. Right in the heart of it. Right, that vegan restaurant right there. Yep. So yeah, because you're a vegan too. Yeah. What? I saw that. Yeah, I know that you're a yeah. vegan. And I know. Um. Uh, yeah. See, I know a little bit about you. You do. Yeah. I know you make your site on WordPress, dude, and I want to talk to you about that afterwards. Oh, yes, really? I, yeah, my dad, my dad today was, I was like, dude, I need to get my fucking website up. And he's like, dude, you need to make a WordPress site. Yeah, it's like, pretty easy. Like, what like, the fuck's wrong with you? I just had someone talk me through it, and then, like, it's kind of self-explanatory. And it's, it's cool. It does everything that it's, you've got your site set up exactly how I want Altered Cognition site set up. Very simple. A photo gallery of all the cool guest photos that we have. I just want links I want to be able to, it has like the daily thing. Like you kind of like can update like a yeah. little, it's got like a blog, which yeah. is great. Cause in that blog you could put shows, links, posters, yeah. fucking all that stuff. That's amazing, dude. What do you say we get this started? Let's do it. 
This is Altered Cognition. I'm Nick Breen here with my co-host Jesse Green. Today we have a wonderful guest. We have author, musician, comedian, performance artist, just all around really cool guy, Aug Stone on the podcast today. Hey, y'all. <laughs> True What's renaissance. Up? There man. it is. Hey, y'all. <laughs> so we were talking before the podcast. Um, let's just, let's go right into this. You were in L.A. Yeah. And you were like, fuck L.A. I'm out of here. Not really. I love L.A. And I might end up back there. L.A. is a great. I'm not I'm not saying fuck L.A. forever. It was like fuck L.A. for right now. And you went to Nashville, which is like the country music L.A. Yeah. But there was a big old detour in there, which I haven't really told many people about. Um, L.A. was great and I loved it. but it was expensive. What were you doing? Yo, California's a, yeah. a money pit. What were you doing in L.A.? I, I went out because I had always wanted to live. I figured if I was going to ever live on the West Coast, I should do it. Like when I decided like two or three years ago to just go do it. And I was there for a year. Uh, I was working for Whole Foods and I quit at that eventually. And I was just doing like uh, deliveries and stuff and making music and writing as well as still doing journalism. Um, but I wanted to kind of save up some money and do music to do more music. And like I had, I had visited Nashville a couple of times. I loved it. Um, I had friends there and my grandmother had a, at a place in Florida. Um, yeah, near Boca. So when I decided to leave LA, that's actually where I went and it was great. I didn't tell anybody like my parents were like, yeah, you can use that till you figure out where you want to go. So like I drove across country again met some cool people like who I, you know, only known through the internet. They let me stay at their place and just like, I love driving across the country. It's rad. You know, did you take the 40? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you went, you went through like, you go through like, it's just like the top little panhandle of Texas. Yeah, it's Amarillo. like this little itty bitty thing on the map, but it's like the longest, like 10 hours or eight hours of your drive. It's like so long yeah. that we're going through that one part of Texas. And then there's that one, that one like famous steakhouse, which you didn't stop I at, I did not know because obviously you're a vegan. But I have I have the Happy Cow app on my phone, which tells you all the vegan and re- uh, vegetarian restaurants like in the area, or like you can search by city. So how I do it is I'd wake up every day, search like the city, like where I wanted to go for dinner, and I just like put that in the map and just you know drive for. 10, 12 hours until I hit it. That's so cool. And you're old enough to remember when this stuff like wasn't available. Yeah. No. Like when like we used to pull out a map and it would be like you'd have to find a street because you knew of a place and had the address and it would be like Morgan Street. You'd be like, okay, Morgan Street, C7. Okay, we're C yep. and then there's seven and then you find Morgan Street. You put your finger on it and you try to trace a route back to where you are. And then you try to figure out what streets those are <laughs> on crazy, the way. But like, we all figured it out. Like, I remember being in bands, like, in the mid-90s, and, like, uh, we were all in Stratford, and uh, we were had, like, a gig in Worcester, and we were all, like, driving up, kind of following each other, and somehow we all got split up. But amazingly, we all made it to the club, and, like, thinking, like, you know, we didn't have phones or anything to guide us. It was just kind of, like... I don't know. No, you didn't even know. <laughs> you didn't even know if, like, if one of your buddies got a flat tire, if yeah. they got pulled over. <laughs> you didn't know anything. You it showed was, up and were very thankful everyone was there and could play. Well, that was the thing. It was like, that was like almost a time in society, too, when, 
like say you don't want to do something and nowadays you'd like pick up your phone and be like, oh, let me shoot a text and I'm going to cancel and I, I can come up with a reason. But like you call the person's <laughs> on house, the landline, yeah. you call them on the landline and it just rings, rings. And after six or seven rings, you're like, fuck, they already left. I guess I, I have, have to, to go. go. <laughs> yeah. No, those were those were those were different times. So that's cool. So you're driving across the country. Um, you're able to kind of plot your vegan trail across the country. And man, Arkansas is had rough. like one vegan taco, literally a shack. They were such nice people, but I showed up and I was like, "Is this place even open?" Like I peered in, and there was just like a woman sitting all alone, like at her desk. Waiting and I walked for in. You. It, was, it was great. You know, she they was were really waiting nice. for you. Yeah, it was like the one place in Arkansas I could eat that day. The place isn't even real. <laughs> yeah, no. It was some weird vegan <laughs> deity <laughs> that just popped up on the side of the road. But it was weird, man. Like I, when I made the decision to go to L.A., uh, I've been living in Framingham, Massachusetts, and then Ashland, Mass., which is right next to it. Um, I remember just one night I played a show, and it was like a full moon. I was driving back from the show, and I was just like really, really sad. And I got out of my car and sat down by the lake and like looked up at this full moon. I just realized I didn't want to be there anymore. And like over the next couple of days, it hit me like I had to leave. And then it was like, if I'm ever going to go to the West Coast, I'm going to do it now. And then Ashland, the name of my town, I remember I did a tarot reading that New Year's Day and I caught a card with, um, oh, is it the Seven of Pentacles? It had a phoenix in it. And I was like, one day I will and rise. some sort of a rebirth. Yeah, from the ashes of Ashland. So I took the 40 all the way out through Amarillo. But then I, I was like, if I'm driving out, I have to hit Phoenix, Arizona. So I, like, I went down, like got off the 40 and like for detoured what? down. For the heat? For the, na- for the Phoenix name. Yeah, Phoenix oh, and Ashland. Oh, uh, uh, hi, my brain doesn't work. And I remember it was winter, and uh, it was the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen, Arizona. Winter in Phoenix is nice. Yeah. That's the right time to go. And like the highway is getting there. Like we went up into the mountains and I remember yes. seeing a sign. Do you have um, chains on your tires? And I didn't, but it was like, I, I'm not going to turn around. So I like went like two hours of just pure treacherous snow. Did and like, you go, did you, did you hit the 10? Yeah. And, and, and you went, th- you go through like the Mojave desert. Yeah. I was on the 10 for a bit. The yeah. 10 and the 20 going down yes. that way. Yeah. Yes. And then Phoenix, man, I found there's an amazing vegan restaurant there. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there is. It's the southwestern, you know, yeah. vegan kind of with that southwestern influence on the food. The food in Arizona is pretty good. It's really good. All the whole food in that lower western, southwestern corner of the country is absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. It really the is. Mexican influence. Which, I mean, I yeah, love. it's like that's I'm all about that. They just they can't do it. It's like if you go down there looking for Italian food, you're just not going to find what you find up here. Like yeah. I don't I don't wander looking for pizza. Yeah. But like it, they really don't have any type of Spanish food up here that comes close cuz I'm not that in like oh, I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. I'm not like that into like the other Spanish foods. Like I like Mexican food. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is that racist? <laughs> I think no. you're just missing the turquoise. <laughs> you want all the turquoise in the food. I just, I love Mexican food is like so special. And I think Mexican people are special, man. You've been to Joey C's in Milford? I have. I love that place. Really? Yeah. Well, not, not for you? Not a huge fan. Okay. If I'm going to eat 
Mexican food in Milford, I go to Milford Pizza and Mexican food. <laughs> it's like literally like a like a Mexican family that opened like a pizza joint. And like my buddy who's lived in the Devon area for a while, like watch them struggle and come up. And now they're just they're like balling out of control. They have like, a, you know, five for five tacos, Taco Tuesday. Oh, oh I'm missing Taco Tuesday. I've been missing Taco Tuesday for this podcast. I've been living Taco Tuesday for the last like three months, just every day. I get two fish tacos every day for lunch for five bucks. The Taco, taco Tuesday is every day. Every day is Taco Tuesday. That's a reminder from Jesse. Every day is Taco Tuesday. I mean, it's true. So what? maybe you should try the vegan options at that restaurant then. Maybe that's why you're not having good luck. I, not like I don't get enough soy in like every processed thing that I eat. Like in McDonald's cheeseburgers and all that shit is probably packed with soy. I have, it's probably safe to assume, but like I have like a thing against eating like soy, like as soy. Are you afraid of estrogen? Already got big enough tits. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, you're so you're leaving L.A. You're going to Nashville, but going to Florida first. Boca. And I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, Boca. And I was there for like four months. It was great because um, I loved like just being kind of off the grid like that. Like nobody <laughs> knew where what, I was. What months were you there? I was there end of January to the beginning of yeah, May. Yeah, the best four months. Yeah, to, I mean the mid, best time to be in March. I was already like, it's way too hot. I cannot be here in the summer. But it was crazy. Like, um, I was, I was. I've done yoga like intermittently for like years. I was doing like these yoga stretches uh, to kind of like open up my heart and like feel more. And I've, uh, the, uh, there's the camel pose. And I found this teacher who had a video on YouTube, uh, Kino McGregor. And I, I, she was the one who like, I watched her video, showed me how to do it. And then I realized that she has a studio in Miami. And then I looked it up and she was like, there was like a couple spots left for a place in March. And I was like, this is a kind of a coincidence. I should definitely take yeah, this. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. And then uh, there's a big farmer's market down that way. And I remember that my friend Kelly, who I'd gone to high school with, who I hadn't seen in years, last I had heard from her, she was down in Miami. So I messaged her and like we met up one day at the farmer's market. And um, it was weird. Cause it was funny because like we, we hung out for like five hours that day. But when we both showed up, both we later admitted that both of us was like, are we going to have anything to talk about? Like we haven't seen each other since high school, you know, but it was great. And then like uh, Kelly turns out she used, she worked a bit at the Miami yoga place. And then she went to that class as well. And we hung out a bunch and Kelly's Kelly's from Stratford, too. Um, and she they her and her boyfriend moved back. They kind of they kind of deliver boats, so they're kind of like kind of on the oh, go. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. they, they they like they'll captain someone's boat up and down the coast. From yeah, to the Milford Bahamas Harbor, to the Bahamas, to wherever for the winter, for the summer, coming back, going up. That's like a really cool job. But it worked out super well because uh, when I finally started Southpaw, I wanted some pictures taken to go with it. The sign, the ones with the etc. sign, and I need. I had recorded the album, and I was like, I was thinking. I want just like a, a dirt road with trees. And I, by this point, we had both left Florida. I messaged Kelly, hey, can you just find like a, a you know, this forest with a road going through it and take some pictures for me for an album? She's a great photographer. And she was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And then I was home to visit and I was like, well, I kind of want to take some promo pics. Are you down for it? So we went back to the same spot. And like ever since 
Kelly's like come to all the shows and taken pictures, done a bunch of my photos. And like, it was weird that like we both met up again in Florida like that. It was totally like this road to becoming Southpaw. Well, that's how the universe. Yeah, that's how the universe um, brings things together. Brings things together. The universe kind of like, I don't know, I don't believe in the secret or like any of that bullshit. But like the universe does speak to you and kind of let you know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Just through little subtle things, people that you see, perspectives that you get, chance meetings, and especially someone like you, you ha- it's like you have that wanderlust. Yeah. I kind of have the same thing. I transplanted West Coast to East Coast. So you, you kind of like every once in a while, I'm just like, uh, it's time to keep it moving. Yeah. I think I'll be here for a while. The comedy scene is like really good and I'm kind of digging into it. So I, I enjoy it. I am. Um, I, I am. Have I mentioned Chinese astrology yet? Because I I've talked about no, that a lot, not but yet. But let's let's I've let's get into. Um, we're gonna get into. We're gonna uh, talk about Southpaw a little bit because we've alluded to him too much. <laughs> so you said the creation of Southpaw. So you're in so the South. I'm in. And we were talking about this before the podcast. How you will randomly slip into a Southern drawl. Yep. <laughs> for reasons and I don't know. You lived in the South for literally like a year, eight a year months. and four months, eight months, <laughs> you know, and people in Boca don't have a Southern draw. No, but what happened was when I decided to, I decided where I wanted to go from Florida, I, it was Nashville. Nashville was always calling me. Such a great city. Um, yeah. And there were weird coincidences there At too. At this time, since I know you're not a drinker yeah. anymore. No. Anymore. Anymore. That's yeah. an important, that's and an somebody important put it on Facebook the other that's day. That's an important distinction to make. Yeah. You don't really party anymore, but you are a musician. So other than a great drinking culture in Nashville, there is like an insane music culture. Oh, yeah. Did you ever get down on the walk down there yep. with all the bars and every bar has live entertainment seven nights a week? It's, it's nuts. insane. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all, the level of musicianship is just mind blowing. Like, like these guys can play. <laughs> I was down in Nashville, I think three months ago uh, for a gig and um, we were at a country club. And the guy I was with is just like, that guy has four Grammys. That guy has yeah, three Grammys. Yeah, it's totally like that. That guy, he, uh, <laughs> if you, like one guy that we were speaking with for a while, you know, Oh Brother, Where Art uh, Thou? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, when George Clooney's doing that ending song, the guy who recorded and like actually did the vocals for it, we were just having dinner with him. Awesome. You know, you have, you know, he's just like some extraordinary fat guy. You have no idea that he was like, you know, a world-class musician because apparently a lot of the guys in the music industry do the lyrics, they do the producing, they'll have their studios there. They don't really want to tour. They don't really want to deal with all that shit. They'll just collect the royalty checks forever. Yeah. And you know, they're still making tons of money with a lot less stress in their life. And they actually have a home base. Yep. It was well, very Na- cool. Nashville, Nashville, LA, New York. These are places that are more accustomed also to seeing people in the entertainment industry. Those are your entertainment hubs, Atlanta. That's another one. Mm. So, you're in Nashville now. What are you but, doing in but Nashville? Getting there is is a key bit. Because um, I left Boca, and I was driving up. And you wake up one morning and you decide it's time to leave Boca. You plan this for a week. I, I had it planned for a couple of weeks. Like my parents came down, um, which is cool because uh, we hadn't I hadn't been to Florida since the late '90s. Like they they tend to go as a vacation spot every year, and like um, they they kind of packed up grandma's place and you know it was like after i left and everything made it good but i decided you know it's it's a 16 hour drive so i took like four days and who's live anyway was playing in augusta georgia you know aug augusta 
I was like, I can't miss that. And like, cause I love Greg Proops and uh, Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall was on the tour with them. Yep. And it was, I'd never really seen like professional improv like that before. And I loved it. Like it, I was just laughing for reasons. Like it just came out of me. It wasn't like I understood the joke. It was, I was just laughing because it was instinctually funny. And it was pretty much that day that Southpaw was born. Because I'm, I'm spending, you know, like six hours a day in the car on my own. And I just start talking to myself and the southern accent's coming out more and more. And I just turn on my phone to record and out starts coming a story. And I was just like, I have literally nothing else to do for, you know, these long, long drives. It's, it's a good I'll way to occupy it. yourself for six hours in the car because the driving does get monotonous. And that's like, so you went and you saw the Who's line live. Yeah. Now that's like, the, there's something about seeing it live you can watch it on tv yeah i never you watched it that much it on tv li- but, but you've seen I know. it yeah but live it was yeah you're right it's, it's different live thing. is just it's something else yeah there's another there's like a feeling that you get there's like an energy that you get that, that i think you guys the audience like you said you're laughing just because it's instinctually funny so you're sending an energy up to the the players yeah <laughs> so so that's where this performance piece is Southpaw a performance piece? Is it an alter ego? Is it, it an art installation? What is bold. Southpaw? Like, the uh, first time Stosh Makita ever saw me uh, perform, he was on, like, a couple people after me, and he got up on stage at Cafe 9 and said, Southpaw, was that comedy or terrorism? <laughs> and, I mean, there's definitely <laughs> something, that, like, art terrorism. It's like, some people don't consider it comedy. I do, because I think it's funny, and it just goes to places that I find naturally funny. And I have been trying to like, for the live sets at least, like get jokes in. Well, the first time I saw Southpaw, I think was at Pacific Standard. Oh, wow. Okay. And it must have been maybe five months ago. Yeah, I haven't been there in a long time. Six and I tried out ago. some strange stuff at the times I went there. And it was just, I didn't know you. You came in. You had these fucking glasses on. Was he wearing the trench coat? The duster coat? I don't remember. You had a hat on. Maybe? No No hat? Maybe a hat. No coat. A hat? No, a hat. I I would occasionally. He's been talking about this fucking trench coat. I don't even know what it all The green one? I don't even think it. Yeah, I love that. Oh, it does exist. (laughs) It is real. Okay. It's fucking awesome, man. You had the hat on, you had the glasses, and you're just doing this thing, and it's like super referency yep. like 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 cultural re- like not necessarily like current pop culture no. but like iconic pop culture references and like and i was i was like i was like yeah well, i was like what is this i was like and then i look at it and i'm like this is obviously not this is obviously like a written piece yep like word for word like this is a this is a piece this is something that's that you know inside and out. And I had a lot of respect for your ability to be able to put it all in your head. Thank you, yeah. And and put it out there like that. And it was like just this energy. I had no clue how you did it. And then I think the next time I saw you do it, might have been at the sea grape. Okay. No, it it had to be at stress. That's what, two, three weeks ago? Two, three months ago? Three months ago? Maybe Lyric Hall? No, because I've been seeing you at stress since I've been going there. Okay. Yeah. I've only done that a couple times. I've, no, I remember the f- 
one of the first times I went there, I think I saw you there because I just used to go to watch the open mics. Because oh, really? yeah, yeah, because I mean, it was like sometimes it'd be funny, most of the time it was a shit show. You know, it's five bucks, great entertainment. <laughs> That's how I met Nick. Really, yeah. great entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough there because it's only three minutes, and yeah, it's like I like to stretch out because it is a story, really. At least to me. I have an ending no, I want to get no, to. No, yeah, you you do. You tell the stories, and that's something else too. I think we talked about this. It's tough when you have a a story to tell, and you have to break it down into these pieces mm. to rehearse, and then you can't have like the continuity and the flow of the piece together. Yeah, it's yeah, almost it's like we need to cu- we need to put together like a storytelling show. I like that idea. Just give everybody like 15 minutes. Do like three, four, five. You could do six guys. That's like an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. You could do six guys, 15 minutes each. You could do it'd be like a two-hour night. I like that idea, yeah. I think that's a great idea. I'm trying it out in Brooklyn uh, in October. So Southpaw is being born on the way. Yeah, we'll plug you. We're going to plug all your shows for okay. sure. Cool. For sure later. Um Southpaw is being born like on the way from Florida to Nashville. Yeah, that's now, a perfect place for it to be born. Yeah, right? so so now <laughs> so now, so no now Southpaw is a thing. Yeah, does Southpaw is his is his first gig in Nashville? No, this I love this story and it ties into what I wanted to say too. Uh, the beginning. I I had always wanted to try stand-up comedy for years. And it was just one of those things like, I got to do it or like make a plan to do it or else I never will. So I had two New Year's resolutions for 2018. The first was to learn how to stand on my head like yoga style, which I did like the first day. I've done every day ever since because it really helps me get to sleep better. Like it drains all the blood. Wait, so you stand on your head before you go to sleep? Yeah. Like five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Someone walking in on that. (laughs) Actually, we were on family vacation. I do it in the morning, too. And my nephew, who was like two at the time, comes running, like charges me and like grabs my stomach. And it's like all I could do to keep balance on my head and not topple over onto both of us. But my other um, resolution was to try stand-up comedy. Uh, So South was being born. And this story was coming out which became the At The Movies album that I have up on Bandcamp. And it's a strange story, but like... The At The Movies album. This is a Southpaw yeah, it's the story f- very album. Very first story comedy album. Yeah. Where can people get that? On Young Southpaw's Bandcamp page. Young Southpaw's Young Southpaw'sBandcamp.com. Southpaw's yeah. Check it out. So it's cool, man. Like when I got to Nashville, I stayed in an Airbnb. Like in, it, was outside, it was like 40 minutes outside of Nashville while I was looking for a place to live. And there was this really sweet couple. Uh, they, I think they had just retired, and they had a cool like meditation, like shed in their backyard. And they do they would like have like little parties there and stuff. But it was like a cool room that they used for meditating. And I meditate every day, uh, so I, they let me use it. And when I finished writing the story, like my the house I was living at, like uh, the people took care of dogs every day, so, and it was, and I like had chickens in the yard. It was a great house, and but like there were like there are four of us living in the house, and a couple owned it, lived in the house next door, had their dog. It was very loud. It was like, I can't record anything here. And this is in Nashville. This is in Nashville, West Nashville. Okay. So I called up the Airbnb place because uh, she was such a sweet lady. I was like, there's something I'd like to record. Um, 
I, I don't even know if I said I want to record. It's like something I'd like to work on. I need peace and quiet. Can I use your meditation shed? So like I, I rented meditation it. shed. I yeah. like that. <laughs> I, I couldn't explain that I wanted to record young Southpaw there. Like I, I don't know how I would have put that to her, but um, yeah. She charged me. It was real cheap, and I went with my laptop and my mic and everything, and I, I recorded it for a couple days because I went had, had like an hour at a time, and like there was I was trying out different stuff, and then finally. Uh, end of August, it was ready, and I released it August 28th, and then I remembered that my New Year's resolution was to try stand-up, and I was like, well, shit, now I don't have an excuse. I have material for this, and <laughs> I mentioned Chinese astrology. There's, um, I've, this is something I've studied for like five years, and we'll talk about how I got into it because that's a cool story, but I also, um, there's a thing in Chinese astrology with personal date selection where you can look at like... The, your energies, like of the animals, you know, the year you were born. And what dates are going to be what dates good are the, for you. The be- most beneficial for you to do something. So I consulted like the experts' calendars. And I was like, October 4th, that looks perfect for me. And then I looked at all the open mics in Nashville. It was a Thursday night, and there weren't any comedy mics in Nashville at all that night. But there was one in Memphis, 200 miles away. <laughs> That's where you had to yeah. go. I mean, so yeah. Southpaw was born in Memphis and Elvis like burning love is my favorite song of all time. Like I love self mythologizing. I was like, this is perfect. I'll go home. Elvis. I love right that down Pixie the street. Song. Southpaw was born right down the street <laughs> yeah. from Graceland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was great, man. Like that day I, I had to go to the DMV and I was there for like five hours. And then I got I took the day off work. Um, went to the DMV and then got in my car and drove three hours to Memphis uh, to this dive bar, but it was, it was great. Like, I love that place, the P&H Cafe. And there was a, a, a painting of Elvis above the stage. And, like, I was on 7th. And, like, the first six people didn't really get many laughs. And when I told the host, who was a super cool guy, he was, you know, he put me on the show, but I, he was like, what's your name again? I was like, well, I'm performing under the name Young Southpaw. And he just shook his head. <laughs> but I got up and I, I got a laugh within like 30 seconds and they kept coming. And like when I got off stage, I was on top of the world, man. Like people came up and was like, I love the stream of consciousness of it. I love how you were linking like Nick Rhodes and Cynthia Rhodes and all this. And the host thanked me for getting the night going. And I was just on top of the fucking world. And like, then I had to drive 200 miles back to Nashville. But And that was the best drive ever. Yeah. 200 miles and you're like, dude, I'm going to fucking do this. Yep. Southpaw's the man. He's going to be famous. Southpaw to the White House. Yep. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's like Southpaw, like, Southpaw's like, like a, like a, like an Elvis cross with James Vagabond. He's an American icon. <laughs> with like fucking, you know, he's from the South. I don't know, dude, but he's like from, like, yeah, he's like a Memphis, like he's, it's not like too deep south, but he's like deep enough, and he's like not in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like he's not from Boca. He was conceived there. Yes, I'd I rather like be it. conceived in Florida than from Florida. I, I I just and it's Southpaw, and we would love to have Southpaw on the podcast sometime. Oh yeah, he's down. <laughs> You talk to him. I'll talk to his people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're in Nashville. And you drive to Memphis. You're doing comedy now. You did comedy. When's the next time you did comedy after that? Uh, I did it like a week later in Nashville. 
and then I did it a week, I think after that in Nashville. And then my best, one of my best friends had a daughter and she was turning one and his daughter's super awesome. He lives in Chapel Hill. And I was like, he invited me to the birthday party. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I'll, I'll stop in Asheville, North Carolina on the Chapel way. Hill, North do a Carolina, show there, yep. And then go to Chapel Hill. And then uh, so I'll you, do a show there that night. So you mean you'll stop in Asheville and do a show? You looked up an open mic. You yeah. had And they, okay. they put me on. And then this is where it all went down, man. Um, I'm driving to Ash- Asheville, North Carolina. Like, I got, I packed up my stuff. I just, like, pulled off the highway and had, like, a tin can of peaches uh, as a snack. And um, I'm driving on the highway. I think it's three hours in. And... An air gas truck, the company air gas passes yep. me on the highway. And I'd never seen an air gas truck on the highway before in my life. Air gas was the company that bought my grandparents' business when they retired. And a half an hour later, my father calls to tell me that my grandmother had died. Um, and it must have been the same exact time that that truck passed me. And it, like, the coincidence was just crazy. Because I, I, like, I saw this truck, and I was like, oh, that's a nice sign from my grandfather. Like, I'm on my way to do comedy. My grandfather died 25 years ago. Um, I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, that's a cool, like, little coincidence message. But then, like, my dad called me, and I was like, oh, well, that's, that's what that was. And, like, I was just a mess. But, like, the first thing I heard after I got off the phone with my dad was I heard my grandfather's voice in my head say, there's no way you're canceling this show tonight. You do what you said you were going to do. Because, like, my grandparents are always like, if you say something, you do it. So I, I drove to Asheville, I checked into this Airbnb, went to the club, somehow did the show. Um, and it's the only show I've ever done without sunglasses because I had been noticing I couldn't see any of the audience members when I was wearing the sunglasses, still can't. That's why it's tough doing, doing it and judging the reactions. But I did the show and like everyone was just like, what the fuck? Like the host was like, yeah, I dosed that guy during intermission. That's why that happened. Like, cause you know, it's such an odd thing. Oh, and, and I'm sure it was a little, it was different than yeah. the normal Southpaw. You don't have the sunglasses. You just had a death yeah. of a close love, re- my grandmother a, a, a close relative. Like yeah, yeah. A very close relative, basically a second mother. Yeah. You know, and uh, the bouncer told me it was great. And like that meant a lot to me. Cause like, you know, Bouncers don't usually care. They have to put up with this shit every night. Like, you know, it's all the same to them. But, like, for him to compliment me, it was nice. And then I went, I slept three hours on a couch, an Airbnb place, got up and drove 14 hours back to Connecticut, um, you know, for the funeral and stuff. And then I had planned on just staying in Nashville. But, um, you know, we're selling the house. My father said, you know, can you come back and help get it ready? So so you're in Connecticut for the funeral and you never made it back to Nashville? I went back for two or three weeks to go get my stuff. Um, I think I might have did another show while I was there. But that's the thing. Like, I started October 4th, but I only did seven shows in 2018 because I was, you know, busy with all, like, a death and moving to another, like, moving home, which I never expect I would do. Um yeah, especially someone like you, because you've not only lived all over the United States, you've lived in other countries. Yes, as I, well. I lived in London for ten years, which was amazing. What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> so, th- and this is are you seventy five? And, <laughs> and this is where um, London, I think, is where James Vagabond was born. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I moved Or at over. least from your experiences in London. Now, when you're living in London, are you still, um, uh, what, do, what do they call it when you get drunk? Putting on a, putting on a something, uh, something. I don't know. I went on. You're yeah. Right um, well, we should explain who James Vagabond is because you've mentioned him a couple well, James, times. Well, James Vagabond is, is like the protagonist and like. I wrote a book. Um, when I first moved to London, it was 2003. I went over to record some music with one of my favorite producers. And I, I ended up loving it. Actually, the first time I ever set foot in London, it yeah, felt so, like I was okay. home. Yeah, l- yeah, start from the beginning. How, like, so what are you doing at the time? Where are you in America? What year is this? Is this before Nashville? This is before Nashville, This is 2003. Obviously. This is way back. I, my band in Boston had, well, I had left the band. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a bad scene. Like, it was 2001, 2002 were, like, the most fun you could possibly imagine having like being in a a band that was playing you know gigs in boston and new york and like doing little tours and drinking very very heavily but like all that and and this is your full time you're getting paid we were we're starting to have things i mean we're all like doing musicians jobs during the day to like you know so we could take off time and do gigs and stuff but then like all that kind of imploded and like it took us years to get our friendships back and stuff and 2003, I was like, I just, I want to get out of Boston. I've been here for a long time, and I'm gonna start to hate it, and I don't want to do that. And I, I always loved London. When I visited as a teenager, it just felt like home to me. And I had been, I went solo. I started writing my own songs. I released some singles, and I had written these five songs with girls' names in the titles. And I wanted to do an EP called Girl Talk. And I e- just emailed my favorite producer, Ian Cat, who did like San Etienne, one of my favorite bands. And he was like, yeah, I like the songs. Let's do it. And I was just like, fuck yeah, man. So and out so- of the blue, cold call. Yeah. Email you. You didn't work with him with one of your previous bands or anything like that. You were just like, yo. No, we had we had like mutual friends. Who I think I like, you know, name check. But like it, w- it was literally I sent him the songs and he was like, yeah. Hey, I hey, your friends with so and so. They gave me your email. Uh Check this stuff out. Yeah. And uh, he liked it. And I, w- I, I planned to go over and uh, I stayed for three and a half months, September to like right before Christmas. And what did you do for money? I had some money at the time. Um, yeah, saved up so that I could do that. So you could do this sort of thing. Yeah. And okay. it just it worked out perfectly well. And that three and a half months was some I mean, and I've drank a lot in my life that was some of the Three, drunkest yeah they drink I've a lot yeah. over there yeah and then when i actually when i on the flight there i brought on her majesty's secret service the bomb book with me um which i loved as a kid and i read it again and then when i was flying back i remembered all i had all the old bomb books at home and i started reading them again and like just thinking of like this crazy drunken time i had had in london and rereading bond i came up with the character of james so Vagabond. you recorded these songs yeah. In London for three and a half months. No, it was and about a week. We did the recording for a week, and then I played gigs in oh. London. I went to Germany, Amsterdam. Uh, oh, as a solo artist. Yeah. It was great. So you're in London three and a half months. You came back to the United States after that, and then you moved to London? I When I came back, I... Um, yeah, I, 2004, I went to visit for a week, but I was like, I got to get back to London. And like, you know... You can go on a visitor visa like I did for, uh, you know, three and a half months. But, like, I decided to go take a recording class, which got me a nine-month visa. Student visa. Yeah. And then eventually I went back to school for accounting and finance just because it would get me a three-year student visa that I could extend for two more years as a post-study work visa. 
Um, nice. And then, you know, that got me there. So for how do you how do you go about was it like how did you get these gigs? Like just when you were there for three and a half months, how do you get gigs in Germany? You said you went to Germany and here yeah. and there. How the uh you we nope. can't just gloss over like <laughs> like that. Like what's when I, so you're in London and Germany was the first place you went? Yeah. Um Frankfurt, which was great. What what type of a venue? It was a bar and I played with this guy who was a band called Panama Format and he was amazing. He had really, really great songs. Uh, and he was it was just cool to hang out with. Was he was what, were they singing in English, German? Uh, it was mostly in German, yeah. But they spoke they all spoke perfect English, which was great. Um but when, it, when I was living in Boston, I, I was part of the Arch Enemy Record Company. I was a partner in that. And I decided one day that I love Europe. We need to get big in Europe. So I just focused all my efforts on like get, making contacts like overseas, getting in touch with other labels. So Apricot, or Apricot, as they call it, Records, is based in Frankfurt. So when I went to London, I was like, hey, I'm here. Uh, I'd love to come play sometime. And they're like, well, why don't you come to this night we're doing in October? And so I just took the and train just, over. So I was like, yeah. can you get me a guitar? So you hop on the train with the Europass. Yeah. And you can just zoom like anywhere in Europe. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. Did you have like the, you bought, did you buy like the, the, the train ticket? Like you could just go. I did. I did that when I graduated college. You can go anywhere for like, yeah, 10 days. Yeah. And, uh, but this, this time I just bought the ticket straight to Frankfurt. And then, cause I, I was meeting up with a friend of mine in Amsterdam, which was cool. And then, uh, yeah, how was Amsterdam? Wait, but how old are you during all of this when you first moved to London? Uh, I was 27. Okay. Yeah. How, how, how was Amsterdam? So you were partying at that time? Yeah, 27 yeah. in Amsterdam. Yeah. You, stop, yeah. you stopped off and hit, hit the coffee shop? Yeah. The, th- the thing is, like, I had quit smoking cigarettes. Uh, and nicotine, like, when nicotine withdrawal to me is the worst thing ever. And they put tobacco in their weed in Europe. So, it's like, cliff. when I did yeah. that, like, the first thing I felt was that nicotine rush. And it was just like, oh. Not this like, again. Yeah. <laughs> so that's tough for me. So you're in Germany. You play the gig. You go back. Where else did you go? Uh, I toured Sweden in 2003 before, like right before I moved to London, which was great. Like uh, they played my single on the national radio. And it was funny because like these kids just, they, had, they got my single and they, uh, they wrote to me. And I thought it was my friend Andy just like fucking with me. And it, it was like, up until the moment I arrived in Sweden and met these guys, I was like, maybe this is all just a big hoax by my best friend who was like trying to set something up, you know, saying, hey, why don't you come play in Sweden? But Brings you all the way to Sweden just to be like, surprise, yeah. it's me, motherfucker. You're like, Cause he what the fuck? I would do something like that, honestly. He, he actually literally used to do this. Like when I had the record company, he made up this band, the Lunar Lions from, frame, from Fitchburg, Mass. And he'd email me with a fake email address trying to get us to play gigs together. And, like, because I was very busy at the time, I was, I was like, well, yeah, all right, well, let's see if we can do it sometime. And, like, he'd just sort of pester me, just much to his own amusement, because he was bored at work, you know? That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. But Sweden was amazing. Like, the promoters met us, took on us on this big picnic, like, looking out of Stockholm Harbor. And I met just, like, such cool people who were, like, into, like, like really into music. And we, um, we, play, we played Gothenburg and Stockholm, but there's this guy... Larry Farber, who's just a great guy, originally from Detroit, has been living in Sweden for years. I sold him a CD on eBay in like 2001. And for some reason, we've just kept in touch since then. And he had this like record store, but it's much, much more than a record store. He has like just weird, bizarro magazines and cult movies and like whatever like he likes, he just keeps in his shop. 
So he was like, why don't you come to Varberg, which is like an hour away from Gothenburg, and I'll set you up with a gig. And I was like, yeah, all right, we got the day off. So we, it was the weirdest gig I have ever played. It was, it was a cool because they, you know, they fed us. They're really hospitable in Europe to like artists. They fed us like great food. And we got to drink, you know, a lot for free and played a gig to like three fans because it, it was kind of the middle of nowhere. Three like big pop fans who showed up for it and 20 drunk hospital workers who were there for their own party. So I just like I played a whole bunch of songs that I don't think I've ever played before. Like it was really fun. That's really cool. And they have been it's like all the way from America. Yeah. They're like, what the fuck? Yep. <laughs> okay. Everybody was literally like, what's what's going on here? I'm like, oh, I think it's Mick Jagger. It's got to be him. <laughs> so how much do you think being a musician and actually having stage time prior to doing stand up has helped you? Because I've noticed like with your character, one, there's a story. You got to follow what you're saying very closely, which I think is really cool. But two, it's like it's professional. It's polished, and I think, you know, you haven't been doing stand-up that long, so, like, how much did the actual musicianship kind of tie into that? I'm so glad someone is finally asking this question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great observation because, yeah, totally. Like, I've been doing solo gigs on my own for years, and, it, like, what I've realized that I love doing is the banter in between songs, like, telling the story behind the song or, like, you know, talking about the lyrics and you know, having it be a funny, amusing intro to what I'm about to play. And like those kept getting longer and longer. So I'm, I'm totally comfortable with doing that. And like the musical part too, like just music, I kind of think of Young Southpaw as the instrument I play now. Cause there's a very sort of, you know, the accent, there's the rhythm to it. There's certain like ways of speaking that I get into when I start doing the character and it's very musical to me. So yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely a continuation of that. So you're in Sweden drinking, right? So you, you're in London for 10 years. Yeah, on and off. Uh, that's, that's fucking nuts. So were you able to, I assume you were able to make a living in London enough to where you could stay there? Yeah, it was, it was largely a thing of, uh, like I'd still be there when my visa ran out. Like mm -hmm. it was, it's tough. You know, they allow students to, to stay for a little bit after. Mm -hmm. But... Um, yeah, and, and it was there, too, that I actually got into journalism. Like, and I, I had always thought about writing. It's actually, I had taken the train again to Belgium to visit a friend of mine who has a Belgian beer importing business. Wait, you're there, you got an accounting degree and you decided to become a journalist? <laughs> I, I hated it. Like, within, like, two weeks. I, I worked at a bank when I first graduated college, and I really liked it because I, I like numbers have to add up. You know, you just have to get it so that's what they do. Um, but when I just started studying, I was like, this is, I'll kill myself if I have to do this as a profession. <laughs> but I got to go to class because um, if, if I don't, don't go I'll to get class, thrown out of the country. They drop your visa. But like, I remember I walked out of an exam like a half an hour into it because I was mixing a song from my band, The Soft Close-Ups. And I had this brilliant idea of what I wanted the mix to do. And I was just like, I don't care about this. And like, it, I should have stayed five extra minutes because if I had gotten just one more question right, I would have passed the exam and not had to take it again in the summer, but I walked out and I'm still thrilled with the mix I did. So like, I have no regrets <laughs> so, about that. So you're talking, you, so you weren't just a solo artist. You were also in a band over there. Yeah. I had a couple bands over there that I loved. Um, one was called H bird, which, uh, I was first time I lived in London. I went out in November and I went down the Portobello road and I found these awesome polka dotted teacups and I bought them and then I brought them back to my flat and I put on Dusty Springfield, and I was just like, this is a perfect autumn day. I want to start a band that sounds like this. Like, 
late 60s girl groups, Dusty Springfield, but with like 80s, um, you know, synth pop as well. And I knew I needed a female singer for it. And my friend Kate, uh, she plays everything as well. Um, great musician. I didn't know she could sing. And when I finally, I asked her to work on some music with me, when I finally heard her sing, I was just like, wow. And then like she was on board and we made a record uh, with another friend of ours, Kasha. And I, lo I love it. I love those songs. Um, yeah, they really captured what I wanted. And then... And you're touring them on the local scene, we, we were playing, nightclubs, bars. This was bars. like 2006. We play like every two weeks, like clubs. I remember, I, I remember this the other day. I was really touched. Like I remember being in London. I had kind of just met all the friends that I would eventually become my really close friends there. But like in the beginning, I didn't know anybody. And I heard like we we're all in a group out at a pub somewhere. And I heard my friend Alex uh, say to somebody else, oh, yeah, that's the night of the H-Bird gig. And I was just like. It's a thing now. Someone said it out loud. Our first gig, you know, people know about this and like people came and it, it was great. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, and it, it was, I tried to make every gig special, like do have different sets. And then when we released a single, um, we had it cabaret style. Like we invited a bunch of our friends to come and do 10 minutes, but make it something you wouldn't normally do at a gig, like play a song you don't ever play or like do a cover or like, you know, if you get someone else who's never been in a band before and just perform something for 10 minutes. And then at the end, we got up and played. And it was a super fun night. And then actually that night, uh, my friend David Shaw, who's a brilliant singer, he is front of this band, Luxembourg, who were like my favorite band back then. I'd go to all their shows. Like even when I didn't know anybody, I would just go and like be there by myself. But like I love their music. I s I've seen them so many times but he did his first solo set ever that night. And I was like, oh, these are great songs, David. Like, uh, how about you let me produce one? So I ended up co-producing a song on his first single. And then at some point he said, how about we try writing something together? Uh, and then like, a few days later, I couldn't sleep. So I got up in the middle of the night and like recorded this piece of music and sent it to him. That became our first song, Fireworks. And at the beginning it was like really kind of acoustic and synthy based. But like I've I've always been a guitarist. That's my main instrument, and I really wanted to have a band, like a rock band, you know, with guitar, like full-on guitars that I was doing. And we were kind of transitioning into that. And then like right before my visa was up, we got an offer to make a record. And I I remember I was thinking about this yesterday. I I, I just get up every day, go around the corner from my house to a rehearsal studio, and just write all afternoon. For like two weeks, I wrote 40 songs. I, like I, had, I had ideas beforehand that I put together, but I got together you know, 40 songs, sent them to David, and then like he wrote the lyrics and melodies. And then we, we were like, all right, we got an album. And then I had to leave the country. So what happened was I'm back in Connecticut. My friend Dan up in Boston, great producer, like really always up for doing stuff, was like, well, how about we do it here? I'll get some guys. We'll do the music here send it to David, he'll sing in London, and then he'll send it back and I'll mix it. And that's how we made this record. So we have like, an album made over the internet. Yeah. Overseas. The singer's never met the so bassist cool. or drummer. Yeah. Which is so cool. Yeah. And, and it, it was great. Like, we rehearsed like twice for it because I, I had to keep driving. Like, I, I moved to Massachusetts eventually. Where, where are these albums available? They're on Bandcamp. Uh, the Soft Close-Ups or H-Bird. Um, yeah. And all through my website. Augstone.com. Okay. Augstone.com is where we're going to send everybody. 
www.augstone.com. That's A U G S T O N E.com. What's your right. what's your first name? Like the full first name? Ooh, I don't know if I'll admit that honestly. <laughs> it's not. Do you know what it is, Nick? I'd say it's probably August. It isn't. Is it Angus? No, that'd be cool though. I, I have a first name that starts with an A. Okay. Nobody ever calls me that except my parents when they're mad at me. Um, it's just when I was a baby, you. I couldn't pronounce it. So when I was asked what my name is, I'd look out of my crib and say, Og, and it stuck. And my cousins, uh, they spelt it A-U-G instead of O-G. And I like that, uh, that it keeps the A in there. Is your first name like Orenthal or something? It's Adam. Adam. Yeah, wow, that's so, it's kind of a letdown almost. Right? Like, cool. That's why I don't like to say yeah. it. <laughs> that was a huge letdown. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, man, let me try to think. I was like, what sounds like Og? I was like, thinking some like it would be some eclectic, like, you know, 12 syllable thing. Yeah. That'd be rad. Or Augustine or something like that. Or Augustus. Yeah. I guess Augustine's a girl's name. Augustus Gloop. Yeah. I like Og, I though. <laughs> so you recorded an album. You're back in Massachusetts. And what was kind of the catalyst that brought you kind of back to Connecticut? Uh, well, when I moved home mm-hmm. from London, I came to Connecticut and I was driving to Boston like twice a week to make this record and eventually and doing other music stuff, too, which was cool. So, so uh, this and this is when you were in Boston right before you decided to leave and go to L.A. Yeah. And yeah. then we get to. So we kind of went like uh, we're kind of coming full so circle. Yeah, out now. to LA, back to Nashville, and then because my grandma died. Okay. Yeah, and then we're in the here. present day. So we're coming full circle. So you're back from London. This album's made. And like, yeah, th- this was 2013 we recorded it, and 2014 we put it out. And I would go back to London for like three months at a time, and like we'd do gigs and stuff, and it was fun as hell. Like I, I loved it, and like we took some of those old synthier songs and like made them noisier guitar songs. Like I love, and like, um, I, I love female vocals and my friends, Annie and Joe all, both have excellent bands and they, they did backing vocals live on a couple of the songs and like, we're never going to get to record that just cause it would take too much to do it. But those live performances were just like really, really special. What are the names of their bands? If you want to give them a plug, uh, Joe is in a great band called desperate journalists Desperate journalists. Yeah, they sound like a perfect name. cross between the Smiths and Susie and the Banshees. And Annie was in the Pipettes, and at the time she was in a band called The Lovely Wars, who were a great, both were great pop bands. And now she's doing a bit more experimental stuff, which is really, really cool. And she's Welsh, so she's singing in Welsh on the new stuff. And it's just, it's really lovely, like ethereal, atmospheric music. Uh, Annie Glass is her, uh, what she performs under. So check it out, Desperate Journalists and Annie Glass. I'm sure you can Google that and find something. Yeah, and actually, um, my friend Sean, who I was, used to be in a band with in Boston, Lifestyle, he and I produced Annie's first single, uh, which was really cool. Um, it got on, like, Welsh National Radio and stuff, and it's really good. Like so you're like, an, you're like an international musician, <laughs> international try. recording artist. I forgot to add that to author, international recording artist, comedian, performance artist, um, just all around, uh, all around Renaissance man over here. <laughs> I want to talk about the book a little bit. Yeah. So when, so you're back from London, you're in mass. When do you write the misadventures of James ba- yeah, Vagabond? Um, Right when I came back from London, I was back in Boston, and I was rereading all the Bond books again. And, and it, it just, all started 
when you were going out to London, yes. reading a Bond book on the plane. Yeah, and I uh, just out of nowhere the idea, the character of James Vagabond came from, came to me, and I was like, oh, that, that's 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 funny. I like that a lot. He'll be of the British Drunken Secret Service, and I was like, all right, what's the most ridiculous thing I could have him do? And then a little while later, it hit me that he could go back in time to stop prohibition from ever happening. And like, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was just like, this idea in is In America. Yeah. British drunk. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, book, the book is great. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for the first chapter, at least. You've got like a homeless guy. And he's like stumbling around seeing other homeless people. They're sharing drinks on park benches. And this is in Amsterdam. And, based it's, on. and it's like a secret fucking handshake if you pass the whiskey with the left hand or whatever the fuck's yep. going on. And I'm sitting here reading this like, like, when do we find out if this dude is just a schizophrenic <laughs> or if like, don't spoil it for me. OK, yeah, but, but there's stuff I really like. Um. Because it, it does take place in America, but it's the British Drunken Secret Service. The time machine they get a hold of can travel through time, but not space. So they have to move it to America to go back in time oh in America. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I remember I had this idea and I was like, yes, I have to do this. Like, you know, this is gold that has been given to me. <laughs> to me, it was comic gold. And I was, for five weeks, I would come home every night after work and just write. And I got that first draft out. Like, it was just like a frenzy of, of doing it. And uh, I remember sending it out to, like, all publishers and agents, and everyone was just like, this is way too ridiculous. We're not going to touch this. And, like, I, got, I was really upset about it because I knew it was funny. And, like, friends of mine were really encouraging. Um, and fr my friend Ben, actually, do you know Robert Anton Wilson? Wrote the Illuminatus trilogy. What an incredible that book. familiar, but I, that could just be... He compared my writing to his, and I had never heard of him before. And the Illuminatus trilogy is all, it kind of takes the piss out of every major conspiracy theory that happened in the 20th century. <clears throat> and it was written by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson, but my friend Ben only said Robert Anton Wilson. So I was always, look. I, I don't know why I didn't look online for this, but I was looking in bookstores under W for Wilson instead of S for Shea, and I could never find it. And I started thinking, well, maybe this book is a conspiracy. Like people just talk <laughs> that it exists, but it really doesn't. And then five years, like I've, five years later, I'm in London and my friend Alex, the one I mentioned before, we all decide to go out one night uh, to this pub called the Pelican. And he brings the book for me, the Illuminatus trilogy. And I loved it. And that night at the Pelican was insane. Like they had a happy hour where you just couldn't lose. Like you would roll the dice against the bartender. And if you won, your drinks were on the house. If you lost, it was just regular price. <laughs> so we're just getting way more rounds than like I could ever. I, I mean, I drank a lot, but I was even pushing it even then. I remember my hangover the next day, my teeth hurt. I remember just getting up and like deciding the only way I was going to feel better was to hang upside down off my bed for like a couple hours. And like it was just I, I remember I read an old journal entry of mine last night that described my hangovers in the later days as existential crises that are so painful. I don't even think death will help. <laughs> that's funny. And that is that is that's a rock star's hangover. <laughs> Nothing a little bit of cocaine never cured. But. And so what what made you finally say, were you a vegan at this time? 
No, I was a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for about ten years, and then I went back to eating meat uh, when I was in London for about. I ate like really crappy, like late night chicken shop, you know, sandwiches, which you know, not not the healthiest. So why did you decide to clean up your act? Was it just a health reason? Was it just a mental reason? It health. Re- when I when I decided when I started listening to my body in like two thousand eleven. Um, like I, I, it started coming to me that, yeah, I, these hangovers are just way too much. I, and it wasn't even fun anymore. And I never thought drinking wouldn't be fun. And I was just like, wow, you know, I'm not even enjoying this anymore. It's not, there's no real point in continuing. And then when I started listening to my body, I did like a lot of damage to my liver. And it was just like, I, I have to do like what's, I have to get healthier somehow. And like, I found eating meat was just too, I'd feel real sluggish afterward. And if I keep it simple, I have more energy and I feel better. Um, and yeah, I started meditating and like, yeah, I changed my lifestyle like how really drastically. How did we eventually get the book published? Well, yeah. Um, I want to, I want to get, I want to get back to that. Yeah. We were, we were, you had the book written, you sent it to publishers, your friends love it. They're comparing you to this Antoine, Robert Antoine Wilson. Wilson. And, and, and you have a, basically a manuscript at this point. Yeah. Which I, uh, that nobody this, wants to touch, supposedly. This, this is 2004, and yeah, nobody wants to touch it, and people weren't even nice about it. Like, I, I was surprised that people didn't, didn't even see, like, any potential for it. Cause, like, I loved it, like, everyone, and I knew it was funny. Um, and, or people would say, like, yeah, this, this is funny, but, you know, it's not going to sell. And I was like, but, you know, movies like Old School were coming out, like Wedding Crashers, like, totally ridiculous shit. Like, oh, it would, just from what I've read, it would make, it would make, like, a great... If not a movie, you could turn it into uh, a short. You could turn it into a series of shorts. You could turn it into like, like it's yeah. it's it's the character is fucking great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote it as a. Screenplay it's like someone like I would love to play. <laughs> you would make a great James. Exactly, <laughs> the guy. Like the guy. I'm like, dude, it's me. <laughs> These are the things that I think of when I'm just hopelessly hopelessly fucked out of my head Yeah. up for a couple days, I start thinking, you know, maybe I am, you know, they put me here to do some things. <laughs> so you got a manuscript. How, how, cause I have the book. It's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Misadventures of James Vagabond. You can fucking get it on Amazon. I recommend you get it on Amazon or you go to augstone.com and you get it Lulu. there. Lulu.com will have, and it'll give me more money. Lulu.com. L-U-L-U. Go to Lulu.com. I recommend you get it anywhere you want to get it. To tell you the truth, just get the freaking book. Yeah, and Brian Bargainer and I are going to be doing some book readings coming up in October. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. He's got the Liquor Store Chronicles, another yeah, great book, which is... You read that? really I've funny. read excerpts from it. It's great. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh, my phone just made a noise. I am so unprofessional. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Um... Fox News telling me about police in Texas. Praise the Father. We don't want to hear that shit right now. Um, how did the book get published? Did you self-publish? I self-published. Finally, because I, I revised it. When Casino Royale came out, I thought, you know, a Bond tie-in. I'll pitch it again. It was a couple years later, and I, I revised it. Uh, and I had an agent interested, but they, they wanted to make James Vagabond a more relatable character. And I was like, no, he's... That's what's funny about it. Like, everything about him is the joke. Like, I don't want people to, like, you know, it to be heartwarming. It's, it's funny. It's comedy. Um, and so, like, I, 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 like, a publisher 
or you know, an agent was into it, and I was just like, I, I got a pass. Like I, I don't yeah, want to change not, it. You're not going to change my guns my, on this. So did they offer you something nice though? No, it was just like, yeah. He was like, we'll take it. We're going to be helping you out, but there's a couple of things. Yeah, he wanted it for himself. I was just like, no, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna change this. I'll, I'm willing to change it if you can show me that it will, it will be funnier. But for me, this is, this is comedy. And that it'll be true to what that character is, who James Vagabond is. That's like someone telling you, oh, we got a couple changes for Southpaw. You're like, hold yeah, on. No. <laughs> then it's not fucking Southpaw. Exactly. No, and it's not James Vagabond. So, so, so you self-published so the book. What your what, how long ago was this? Well, what happened was I, uh, I did that in 2006. I, I pitched it to that agent. Uh, then I, I turned it into a screenplay because I thought it might have more success with that. And that was cool because it gave me other ideas for it. I had to you know, think like as a film, different scenes, and I wrote more jokes that way. And then when I was leaving London in like, 2012, like, you could start self-publishing, just like his e-books and stuff. And I was like... I really want this to be out there for people to read. And I, you know, I, was, I had stopped, pretty much stopped drinking at that point. And I was like, I'm going to revise it one more time and put it out. And what ended up happening was I rewrote the entire last third of it. And it's so much better now. And like, I took stuff that I'd written in the screenplay. And it became this ode to my drinking days. Like all the ridiculous shit that I had just been through, I put in the book. So it became... So you know, there's a little bit of you. There's a lot of me in there. Like a much lot more of, bit of you, you in James Vagabond. I kind of I had, that, had that feeling. And it's the same with Southpaw, too. Like people... It is an alter ego, but like there's a lot of me in there. And like people are like, no, that... But like, that's what the shit that goes through my brain. Like, you know, that, that's how I'm getting it out there, you know, which is uh, great. It's like your, your, your brand of your brand of art is so unique. Thank you. <laughs> and and it's, it's unique to you. And it's I, the, the voice that you use to express it. Now, let's talk about writing a book. It seems like you're like a prolific writer. Obviously, you don't mind it. You're revising your writing screenplays, which, by the way, I'd like to take a look at just for the All right, yeah, hell of it. Um, but uh, I mean, you're you're constantly writing. I'd like to be. Um, when I am, it feels awesome. What and was the your days I don't? I I wish I had. What was your process for writing for writing James Vagabond? What was your what was your daily? How long did it take you to write the well, book? That's the thing. I decided uh, toward the end of 2012 I would do it. My friend Alex, uh, who I keep mentioning, uh, he's a um, a sub editor and he offered to like proofread it for me, which was great. It was a great help. Um, and I, I, this was the end of 2012. But it wasn't till 2014 that I thought it was finally ready. Cause again, I rewrote the last third. So this talk took you from like, Oh six. So had the idea in Oh four, wrote the 04. first draft, revised it in 2006, revised it in 2007 for a screenplay. And then 2012 put the finals on it. That took, I guess it took two years, but then again, uh, I, I was making that album at the time, so it was kind of like juggling that. But when I was writing, I would get a, I, there. There's a good like two months where I was getting up at five a.m. Yeah, what was your process for your first draft? For and the I, first time you ever put the ideas on paper. The first time it was it was coming home and working at night, which I've always been a night owl and I've always had trouble sleeping. Um, but I often found that that energy was there, but it was hard to focus and do it at night. Cause like, you know, there's much other temptation to go out and do stuff. But when I really buckled down, I would get up at 5am and just write until noon 
uh, well, around noon probably, but um, at getting at least a couple hours in there. If I could do it till noon, that would be great because it was just like no one's up at 5 a.m. No one's going to bother me. I can focus. I just got to make it happen because, you know, you got to carve that time out of your day to do it or else, you know, there's so much other stuff. So, it's yeah, it's a conscious effort to sit down yeah. and make yourself right. Oh, yeah. It's tough. Like someone once said, you know, writing is keeping your ass in the seat. And that's that's a lot to it. Yeah, I find I find that um, writing comedy and stuff when I when I do that, I, I have to force myself to sit down. I write a stream of consciousness. I don't even really get any of my jokes out of that. It's just I think it's a it's a, like a powerful exercise just to keep that muscle. Yeah. Flex that muscle. So I do how do you get your jokes in then? Is that is your most of your stuff just winged? I mean, it has that feel to it, which when, I th- probably doesn't. When it first, when the idea first hits me, yeah, I'll just throw, I'll just throw some shit against the wall, see if it sticks. Most of the time, it bounces off and hits the floor, falls back in my face, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck. You wipe the egg off your face and you just keep going. But then I, I'll come across like good concepts. Some of the stream of consciousness stuff, I'll write, maybe. 500 to 700 words and I'll get one premise out of it. Hmm. So when you say write, is you are you typing that up or typing on a handwriting or no typing on a computer and I'm I'm torn because as like a musician like myself, like I never dug writing lyrics on my iPhone. Yeah. Now I like to handwrite I my handwriting. I like to handwrite my lyrics take them once they're good, transcribe them onto an iPad and then use the iPad in the studio. Yep. Just yep. kind of as, um, there's just something about handwriting that's different and like, well, it I could feel be like physically flowing out of you or something. I, yes, exactly. I feel like it's, it's like more connected to the brain and I don't know if the younger generations are going to feel that way. Yeah. I think maybe that's a generational thing, but I feel like when I write something by hand, I'm more connected to it. Well, I, I can remember it easier. I, f- I find that when I write by hand, my hand can't keep up with my mind. That's why I prefer typing. I can't I can't write 80 words per minute with a pen. I can do 80 words per minute on a keyboard, though. Yeah. Even then, I have trouble typing that fast. That's, wh- that's why I, I speak everything into my phone now and then transcribe it. Well, there's speech-to-text these days that's amazing. Yeah, but... You have to spend four or five hours with it, teaching it how you talk. For me, though... Um, Part of the process is transcribing because with Southpaw, it's just going, you know, links and jumps from words to other, you know, other words that sound similar and ideas there. Like transcribing it, I'll like write, I'll type it up a sentence and then I'll like take that and just flow with it and then jump back into where I was on the recording. Now, Um, visually, like I know when I did lyrics, there's like a thing that would like even especially off like the top of the head, there's a thing where I could like see words connect. Do you, okay. Like like some of like your like I could see where it's connect and like unfold. It's almost I don't know maybe it's like a a retardation thing that I have going on, like that's some kind of autism right thing. But it. like um, <laughs> do you like so you you do this like stream of consciousness southpaw, and you say you're writing it, you're transcribing it. Like do you see like visual connections between the words and the ideas? I think I hear them more. I think I'm more auditory than visual. Uh, yeah, I'd like I'm trying to think of how I do it. 
No, I've also seen you do comedy as Og Stone. Yeah, what, what do you think of that? <laughs> I enjoyed it. My buddy saw you do, I think, Pacific Standard a couple weeks ago in New Haven. Yeah. At a mic. The Pacific Standard Tavern or whatever it's called. Yeah, I haven't been there since... Maybe like it wasn't April. that. He said he saw you at some mic about two or three weeks ago as Og, and he said it was great. Really? Yeah. Cool. What's your process like for that? So Southpaw came. Southpaw was your first. You've always wanted to do comedy. You, you had the idea for Southpaw. Southpaw comes along. You're like, wow, now I have material. So I kind of made this resolution. So I might as well get my ass in gear and do it. You do it. You're enjoying comedy. How do you, like, when did you decide, like, oh, maybe I'll, like, write a couple jokes as myself? Like, how, what, what was that thought process and what prompted you to do that? I was going through, like, old journals and stuff looking for stuff that might spark Southpaw ideas. And I came across stuff that wouldn't really, but was, you know, my voice. And so I have a bunch, I have, like, a couple of documents of my own jokes that I'd like to try, uh, which I did the past two nights. Yeah, those were, like, joke sets. But what I've been doing for a couple of months now is, like, more stories, like, from my life. Um which, I mean, I've done some really ridiculous stuff. And, like, I like telling the stories. I've always just told them at bars and, like, telling them on stage. And that was super fun. Uh, such as the time that uh, in 1998, uh, I was in Barcelona. And a woman told me that Nick Cave owned a bar in Berlin. You familiar with Nick Cave, Australian singer, uh, songwriter. One of my favorite songwriters. You said Nick Cage. I was like, oh. Yeah, I was like, no, whoa. Cave. I was like, Cage. <laughs> Gage. Cave. Cave, yeah, Nick not, Cave. Not the actor. Oh, the Nick Cave bar story. Yes. Okay. And uh, and then my be- I went home to Boston, told my best friend, who's also a huge Nick Cave fan, and we decided, without doing any more research, because this was the days before we were really on the internet, we flew to Berlin to go find it. And it was the most miserable <laughs> 10 days of our lives, because no one had any idea of what we were talking about. We thought we'd just show up and be like, where's Nick Cave's bar? And they'd be like, oh, it's over there. And we'd go drink and... It'd be super fun, but, like, it was just so difficult. And, like, we had absinthe for the first time and hallucinated for two and a half days because we were just swigging from the bottle. <laughs> and then we met these two girls who uh, were awesome, and they invited us to Prague with them. And uh, that, Czech Republic. Yeah. And it's then, a scary fucking place, man. It was, yeah, the first thing we saw when we got off the um, the train was these... Like three 13 year old skinheads in leather jackets with no shirts on underneath, beating the fuck out of a payphone with their bare fists until it fell off the wall and they scooped up all the change and ran away. Oh my God. Just like, (laughs) wow. Punching it. Dude, they're they're deep. There's like human trafficking shit. That that whole Eastern block, like. Yeah. That was like a. That's still a scary fucking place. Beautiful place, too. I, I always find it interesting, like, because if you're into history and I'm going to get a lot of the, lot, the natives were here for a long time before us. You can't be say a southern that. Guy saying I that. don't really give a fuck. I'm going to tell you this in terms of history, like American history. We see like a building. Let's say you're in Wilton. There's a house that's from 1797. You're like, oh, shit, this place is fucking old. Our country. Our country was just, like, founded in, like, 1776. Holy shit. Wow, that's old. So, and then sometimes on the West Coast, you'll go out and you'll see some of the Spanish um, architecture. And there's really nothing from before the 1600s. Late 1600s, I could be wrong. 
in America. Yeah. I think maybe some of the missions out there are from like the 1620s, like around yeah. then. There's really nothing in America before that. When you're over in Europe, dude, yeah. you'll walk into a bar that's in a 3,000-year-old <laughs> fucking structure, and you're like, holy shit. This place like was around when, when Jesus was around, supposedly. Yeah, that's everything over there is like they they laugh because we think 100 years is old whereas like they have houses that are like 500 years old well i've heard the phrase that 100 years in america is a long time um and 100 miles in europe is a short distance but 100 miles in america is nothing yeah so i butchered that completely but you no, get the idea that's totally true like they like a three-hour car journey is insane to them. And I'm just like, I do that like every week. I drove you know? 10 hours on a <laughs> Thursday because I was bored down to North Carolina. Like, and came back on Sunday, you know? it's That's nothing. It's nothing. Where'd you go to North Carolina? I went to Wilmington. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And What's uh, there? Um, it's a nice beach town. My buddy has a place down there. And um, actually, <laughs> I signed up for a mic down there. Oh, that guy. And uh, the, the talent down there, it w- felt like a legit... 30 person comedy show for an open mic it was axed it was completely out of this world how good the talent there was and i'm outside smoking a cigarette with one of the last comics that was still there and they call my name and i go up and i'm like oh he just called my name because my girlfriend came she's like they called your name and he's like go fuck yourself man he's like yeah he didn't give a fuck that i missed my name because there's there's 35 comics at this mic and they do it in two hours when the host gets up there there's no in between the host gets up says the next name of the comic they come back but they did 35 comics in two hours Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. But it was just like three minutes of killer sets after one another. I was kind of glad it didn't go up. I would have ate a bag of dicks. But it was the talent down there in this little beach town and this little comedy club was insane. And then, That's cool. And then Joe DeRosa did a show the next night there, really? which was sweet. Yeah, I went to that. It was great. Because they have a festival there. Do There's a big music scene down there. Okay. I, I think, yeah, my buddy, um, he... he dabbles in guitar but he would always go to like there's tons of shows down there in Wilmington it's like this little gem it's a nice little spot but it sounds like you're a writer first more than anything yeah I've kind of come to accept that like I always thought of myself as a musician but I never made as much progress with music as I have with writing and I kind of like going with that and I have tons of ideas that I want to I still have a bunch of songs I want to write I want to record too but like yeah I, I do definitely think of myself as a writer. So do you want to continue doing music for the rest of your life or comedy? Do you want to split the two? Uh, at the beginning of this year, I was all set. Because in Nashville, I had the band I always wanted. Well, it wasn't actually a band. I had the two players who we were making a record that I had always wanted to make, like an instrumental rock record that I had, I'd been wanting to make since high school. And I had like 20 songs and I'd rehearsed with these guys. and But it wasn't going to be like a band because they were you know busy with other projects and i was gonna i had plans to record this album and i was gonna go back at the beginning of the year although i just moved here and record and it was just like you know it was completely on spec i didn't have a record label to release it or anything i was gonna have to spend a couple grand to do it and it's just like why am i doing this like if i'm gonna do comedy now focus on comedy save a couple thousand dollars you know but i'll have to make that decision and like other than that one song I recorded for that compilation, I haven't really done music all year. I've done a couple just like covers I put up on Facebook um, until yesterday where I discovered all these old songs. I was like, oh, these are really great. I should do something with them. But like, I think uh, the, it's important to keep focused on comedy since that's what I've put so much into. 
And do you want to stay in Connecticut for the foreseeable future? Want to is probably too strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll probably at least be here till the end of the year. Uh, yeah. That's not very far off. I know. That's three months. Yeah. Where I, is I, your wanderlust telling you to go now? I, I, I really want to go. I've always wanted to go back to London. I've been thinking of L.A. all year. Um, but I've been kind of like building stuff here, you know, and like that's good. Like that for me, I'm always like, yeah, wanderlust, like move wherever the spirit takes me. But like actually like sticking to something I think is really I beneficial. Know, I've, had, I've had Texas calling me. Yeah. Like I want to go to Austin so bad. There? I thought Texas was a stripper for a second. I've been, I've been through. I've never really been there. I want to go to Austin so bad. I heard they have a great comedy scene in Austin. I've heard but I too. don't want to fucking start over again. Mm. You're not though. I just barely started here, making the making the connections and working the network and and just trying to, you know, do comedy, and grow comedy. How long have you been doing it? Under a year. Okay. Yeah. It's not a long time. It's not a long time. How long have you been doing it? Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Yeah. Okay. At best. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to say three. It hasn't even been three months yet. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been into comedy for a lot. Like I, I started going to the stress mics as an audience member. I just bring all my buddies and be like, it'll be fun no matter what, you know. And then eventually it was like, why am I? I talked to him and he was just like, because I was at the Sea Grape the first time it happened. I was talking to Nick, and he's just like, stop being a pussy. Get up there. And the next <laughs> week, I was like, okay, I got up. I got up. It's been downhill ever since. <laughs> All you got to do is let the thing coast. Yeah. Like you said, it's downhill. Just let it coast. <laughs> let it coast, and it'll pick up speed and get faster and faster. It gets better and better. Just hold on. Don't crash. <laughs> wear a helmet. <laughs> if you're going to do comedy, wear a helmet. Good Don't advice. crash and wear a helmet because <laughs> you're going to crash. I need a helmet on a day-to-day basis. It hurts, it man. Like. I, I've encountered so much rejection this year, and like you put yourself out in a public thing, like well, you're South, bound to especially get it. with South Southpaw's rough, man. Yeah. People don't know what to expect. I know, yeah. But it's always like that one person. Like I know, like like because I'm, I'm a lot to swallow, uh, when I'm doing when I'm doing my thing, and I I think I've started to hit a cool stride. And I'm I'm pleased with it, but even when things don't always go as planned, there's always that one person that yeah. you can see. Maybe you can't see him because you're wearing sunglasses, or but they come you, up afterwards. You can and say see something. him, but Southpaw can't see him because he's wearing sunglasses. But yeah, afterwards you'll talk and you'll find that you made a connection with one person, and you're like, okay, there's something there. Yeah, I yeah. I, I mean, I've done like Broadway comedy club and like. For a long time, it was it was like twenty percent would get it, which isn't a lot, but at least you know like a few people would. And like I remember like doing Broadway like on a Friday night to a couple hundred people, and it just no one really knowing what to make of it. But like afterward, people came up and like they were like, "Yeah, that was great." And I was like, "Whew!" <laughs> like at least someone like if I did it well, I, I think that's the most important thing. Like if I know I I did it how I wanted it to be, I'm pleased with that, even if people are baffled. But like knowing I did it well, then having someone confirm that is just fucking great. Well, yeah, because it's like it's it's your art piece and it's ever evolving. And I don't think it's I don't think it's finished. I don't think Southpaw will ever be finished. No, it's, no. It's, 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 there's nothing finite about it. 
you don't half-ass when you go up on stage because I'm sure you've seen those guys who are kind of like they're you know one foot on the stage, one foot off. But like when you go up there, you are balls deep. <laughs> like you commit so hard, and it's like you have like I think people are almost taken aback when you do open mics that someone goes up there with that level of commitment. I'm serious. Like it's just <laughs> it's you, intense. Yeah. It's intense. I don't. It's not something you really see at a normal mic. It has to be that way. Like it wouldn't work if it wasn't. Like yeah. You, yeah. That's and nuts. I, it's amazing <laughs> that I ever had the balls to do it at an open mic in the first place. Like the fact I remember like when I just came back and I was like asked on Facebook, where can I go in New Haven to do comedy? And a friend of mine said Lyric Hall. And I went and like did that. And like now I I know all those people like really, really well and consider some of them friends. But like the fact that I went up and did this bizarre thing in front of complete strangers, like always is weird to me. Like now, when, because now you've been doing some sets as Og, how many, how long did it take you to get to the point where you're just like, maybe I should just try to be myself up there? How many times have you done that now? Uh, well, I've done, I've done 14 sets as me this year, but 12 of those were like the stories, like literally true life stories, like the Berlin story or the time I watched I Know What You Did last summer, 37 days in mm -hmm. a row. Um, <laughs> what would possess somebody to watch? I know what you did last summer, 37 being, days in a being row. literally possessed. <laughs> I, um, I was home in Stratford at my parents' house, uh, after a family vacation. Were I'd you taking some codeine okay. and I was lying on the floor watching a Jennifer Love Hewitt, true Hollywood story. It was like noon, you know, as you do. <laughs> and for some reason, it just hit me. You know, it would be hilarious to watch I Know What You Did Last Summer every day for an entire summer. So when the next year someone says, what'd you do last summer? You could say, I watched I Know What You Did Last Summer every day. And the idea was flawed from the beginning because it was like August 15th when I had this idea. Convinced my best friend to do it with me. It took him like, it took me hours to convince him. He was like, no, this is a terrible idea. You've had tons of terrible ideas. This is by far the worst. But I somehow got him to do it, and, like, it was rough. And, like, just by virtue of knowing us, like, lots of our friends have seen it, like, eight or nine times. Because if you wanted to hang out with us at this time, you had to, like, come to our house after work and watch I Know What You Did last summer. And it got fun, like, in the middle when, like, we had, like, everything memorized. And, like, you know, we were singing along to all the songs and, like, looking for, like, cool artsy stuff that the director was doing which he wasn't we was just like it was too much in our heads <laughs> you're seeing stuff where there's yeah, nothing there wasn't there. you're like oh i can really see how he kind of juxtaposed this character yeah. you're like no he was That's just brilliant no 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 you're not just, at all you've seen it way too many times yeah there's nothing brilliant about it it's the it the hallucination you're like wow wow this really there's really a deeper meaning to this movie there really isn't. So there's only 37 <laughs> days left in summer, or you just gave up after th August 15th. Well, there we, are only... We thought there were 36 days till the first day of autumn. And we on day 18, we threw a party where we watched I Know and I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Double header. And then, like, the last week when it just got to be miserable again, and we just kind of, like, had it have it on in the room. Like, we'd be, like, reading magazines, like, doing anything other than having our eyes on the screen. Our friend Megan calls us up like just huge amounts of just sheer delight in her voice as she was like i hate to tell you this guys but you got the date wrong you're gonna have to watch it one more day it's actually september 21st not the 20th we so this like, was a dvd too right it was a vhs because <laughs> <laughs> there was one time like at the very beginning you have, to, you have to rewind it every time i was yeah. gonna say you're oh not you, you weren't even yeah but you had a tape rewinder you still gotta sit there yeah everyone has a tape rewinder 
We used to have a machine. You take the VHS out of the VCR and put it like in this other machine, pop it down, no, and we, it would rewind the tape at we, great speed. We hit rewind and, and waited, I think. Because I remember there was like five days in, I had to come back to Connecticut for the weekend, but we had this pack to watch it together, so we copied the VHS tape and each had a copy and called each other and watched Jesus it over the phone. When you commit to something, you fucking commit. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? <laughs> um, yeah, the, these, uh, the, the James Vagabond book readings are going to be awesome. Brian Bargainer and I are... I mean, if anyone has any ideas for venues, we're looking for just cool places like bars, record stores, bookstores. Um, we're doing... AJ's Comics in Colchester on October 9th, and then Dexter's Tunes and Ales in East Hampton, Connecticut on October 11th, and then QED in Queens on October 19th, and we're looking for, yeah, other places in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And those, that's going to be fun. I'm going to read from my book. He's going to read from the Liquor Store Chronicles. Um, on October 5th at Pete's Candy Store in Brooklyn, I'm doing... The full Nick Cave's bar show. It's going to be like 25 minutes of the whole story, which I've always wanted to tell. I've been doing bits and pieces at Mike's. And um, some very funny comics on that show. Um, they're all, everybody's going to be telling a story. Uh, Rob Cantrell and Kate Willett, who are both hilarious pros. Um, and Brooke Llewellyn and Mega Harrison are going to be telling stories too. That'll be fun. And then uh, September 29th in Shelton at the Bull and Barley, Brian and I are doing a night. Um, trying out a new comedy night. Hopefully people will come down. We'll see if we can get that going as a thing. Um, and I might, I think I'm going to do some of my own stuff on that, like as Augstone, and maybe Southpaw will make a special appearance at some point, which would be kind of a fun way to do it, like an Andy Kaufman type thing. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. Don't wrestle any woman off stage. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I have anything to plug? Oh, yeah, and, and I have a Young Southpaw podcast, which is at youngsouthpaw.com. There's 25 episodes now. I'll be doing a new one very soon. Can we, get to, can we get to all your Young Southpaw content, all your band content, all your content from augstone.com? Yes, you can. Perfect. www.augstone.com on the interwebs. Check it out. Jesse, Aug, I think this was... Great. This is fucking amazing. What a great time. Um, It's nice to have a clear head on the podcast. For once. (laughs) For once, yeah. For once. You just did your bit to keep me alive and sober. Well, I'm not sober, but I'm alive. (laughs) So alive. I love that song. But yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Aug. It's great. Awesome.